Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 268. It was a, a lot of pressure on a lot of people. And when you have that kind of pressure and stress, I think the most important thing to never lose sight of is to make sure you're always keeping each other up. Make sure you're always keeping a positive attitude. And if you don't have a positive attitude, surround yourself with people who can catch you um, and bring you back up to a good place, you know, mentally. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Menuvative by iMenuTech has been the pioneer of cloud to tablet menu publishing for over five years. By using Menuvative, you'll reduce your costs, increase guest spending, and provide a better guest experience by being more informative. Find the banner in the show notes or head over to iMenuTech.com to learn more. Again, that's iMenuTech.com. One more time, iMenuTech.com. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by World Barista Champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners get on it. And with excitement, allow me to welcome back on the show, Chef Pat Susie. Chef Susie, tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. I'm feeling so unstoppable, man. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So <laughs> this is an interview I've been looking forward to for a while now. Uh, if you're not familiar with me and where I've been, um, I had the honor of working with Chef Susie at Applecrest Bistro uh, over in uh, Hampton Falls, North Northampton. Hampton Falls? Hampton Falls, Hampton Falls uh, New Hampshire. Wow, I can't believe I forgot what town that was in. Uh, and it was an incredible experience. And uh, today we're going to sit here and we're going to talk uh, about that experience, uh, w- what it was like for you, Chef Susie. Uh, I mean, I got to witness it all. I mean, it, just the raw emotion you put into this place and uh, the the work, the heart that you put into it. It was that alone was such an incredible show, uh, such an incredible display. And uh, before we dive into that, uh, I really want to get that inspirational, motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. So, Chef Susie, what do you have for us today? Uh, I'd say be better tomorrow. Be better tomorrow. I love it. Correct. Man, all you can do is try as hard as you can. You can just try as hard as you can every day you have, but as long as you wake up and say, hey, man, that was a great day. Let's say you had a really hard day. Be better tomorrow, man. Yeah. And I'm telling you, 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 you ought to sleep on that one. Or let's say you had the best day of, you know, the most successful day. You had a crazy restaurant drive. Everybody did well. You broke numbers. You had a successful day. You still say, hey, 
be better tomorrow. Yeah, that's awesome. That's powerful, Chef, because my background uh, as a commercial pilot, that's one thing I always say is everyone does the pre-meal. Everyone you know, does that brief before the, the craziness begins, but very few people take the time to do the post-meal, the debrief. And what did we do good today? What could we do better tomorrow? And highlight those things and be a better version of yourself tomorrow than you were today. And I think that's a standard that should be in in the industry that people just don't really take because it's fresh. You can reflect on it right there. What, I mean, what do you think? Um, I'm a big fan of that. Actually, you know, uh, we didn't have this policy at Alpha Fest Farm Bistro, and I respected that. Uh, but other restaurants do have a shift drink policy. Yeah, uh, and you have the time to actually at the end of the day have a beer or have a iced tea or whatever makes you float and a glass of wine, hang out with your staff. And, and uh, usually in the kitchen, we would, uh, at other restaurants, we would have our beer at the end of the night and we'd sit there with our, our notepads and kind of go over quickly of, of how the day went and what, what to expect out of the next day, you know, prep list and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it was, you know, Hey man, uh, you know, it, you know, you had to refire that chicken. I didn't have to ask you, you got it right back in the pan. We slowed down the ticket. Uh, the communication was, was a little shaky tonight, boys. Let's do better uh, the next night and, you know, stuff like that. So you have a time to really reflect on the day. Uh, I'm totally all about the, the post-meeting. Awesome. I love it. And uh, just to kind of give the listeners an idea of who we're talking to, uh, you were on the show, your episode 49. It's crazy to think that was over 200 episodes ago, uh, almost uh over two years ago, uh, I first uh, connected with you. And uh, why don't you just kind of give the, the listeners at home an idea of who you are, your experience, and uh, how you got to Applecrest? Well, um, I just kind of uh, put my head down and worked, and 20 years went by. <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, you, you started at, as a, was that Michael Har- Michael's Harbor Place? Is that where you got your start? Uh, no, actually, I got my start uh, as a dishwasher okay. um, back in 1996 for a little local burger place. Um, you know, I was, I was a young teenager, and I needed a job, and, you know, I started working in the dish pit, um, you know, working with the cooks around me and trying to be the best I could, and every day I just put my head down, and I tried, you know, if they needed pans, I tried to get them faster than anybody else. If they needed dishes, I tried to get the dishes better than anybody else. I tried to scrub the pots cleaner than anybody else. Mm-hmm. I just always had the work ethic to try to make sure that uh, if I was held responsible for any position, that I did the best I could, um, you know, tirelessly in, in said position. And what happened was, um, you know, 10 years went by, 1996 to 2006. At two, by 2006, I had already opened, um, I'd already moved up, obviously, to cook and Parnon and all these different layers of, uh, of the kitchen. I ended up becoming a saute cook, uh, you know, working with butchering fish and stuff like that 10 years later. And I found myself in a, in a very good position, uh, very lucky and fortunate to have the opportunity to open multiple restaurant locations for one particular uh, company. So I started in a company where there were five locations, and I left when there were 17. Wow. I opened seven of those locations. So that was, was I that got, not your average Joe's? That was not your average Joe's, All yeah. Right. They were a growing company awesome. back in the early ni- uh, mid-90s, and uh, I ended up working with them, uh, opening their uh, seven of their locations in Medford, Lexington, Beverly, Arlington, Newburyport, and Methuen. And that was a very hands-on learning experience. Not oh, many yeah. people... Uh, uh, get to open that many restaurant locations and have that many things go wrong 
because um, anytime you open a restaurant, things go wrong. Mm. So I got a lot of experience um, with that. Fast forward to 10 years after, a few years after that, I jumped out of the corporate business after about nine years of that and went into fine dining, which is where my heart always was. Mm. Um, and it, it was really interesting because fine dining changed quite a bit when I was in it, and it still is changing. Oh, yeah. But I got to see the, the I got to see a little bit of that, uh, the older fine dining, which was, you know, the jazz in the background and the tablecloths that were ironed before service and, um, you know, really, really somewhat pretentious service, which obviously was the goal back then. It was, it was great. And the recession hit and people changed the way they eat, mm. the way they spend and restaurants had to adapt with that. So I got to see a little bit of how that worked, which was very exciting. And now, um, fast forward to the farm, I ended up working obviously for Saya and went into the farm and it was that awesome rustic, you know, everyday food, but it was so honest where we, you know, you were there, you saw it. We had the whole animal butchery. We used every single part of the animal. We used every single part of the fish. We just, you know, we bought our stuff locally and every day we had our pre-meal talked yeah. about with staff to and, get uh, them involved. Sure. And uh, Chef was a guest on the show, uh, episode 49, like I said before. So we kind of dive more into the, the, his history, his experience. If you want to get the full picture of, you know, what he was doing over at Saya at the time he was working at Saya. Um, but it, I think it was probably uh, March or April of 2015 where you reached out to me. And uh, I knew about this restaurant being opened uh, in a, a neighboring town, uh, Applecrest Bistro, uh, but I didn't know that you were going to be chefing it. And you, you reached out to me and you said, hey, man, we, we need people. Uh, we're opening this place in like a month, two months, and we need people. Who do you know? Uh, and, and that was like kind of like when this kind of journey for the both of us started, for me particularly, started uh, taking off. And I was like, man, this is a, an incredible opportunity to work for a guy who, I mean, your interview, my interview with you just stood out. I mean, it was you that really opened my eyes to, I think the question I asked you was uh, about what trends do you see coming and where do you see the industry going? And I've, I've gotten so far away from those questions just because I've learned, I've grown as a professional that most, a big part of that is because of you saying, look, like there, there's no such thing as a trend. Like follow your heart, follow your passion. And it's those people that create the trends. Don't, don't be a trend chaser, be a trend setter. Do you want to reflect on that? Do you remember saying that? I, I, I definitely do. That's still the way it goes. I mean, yeah. I, um, I embrace change. I think it's great. I, I love um, the younger chefs that are coming up and chefs, you know, all over the city. I'm, I'm in Boston now um, working for, I'm actually working on a blog called Digging for Roots, which re- reflects the life of other people, uh, as well as my wife and I and how we're constantly digging for certain things uh, in terms of culture. But yeah, I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm really not a trend chaser, but I do respect people trying to set trends. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody that really sets trends tries to. No. I just think people end up, you know, doing things that stick. And, uh, and, and people see that and say, wow, that's fantastic. I want to try my version of it. Exactly. And, uh, and, and so it's boring. Yeah, absolutely. And it's danger. I mean, that's a whole other conversation we can have. It's dangerous to chase trends. By the time you get the, the capital to get started and you get everything, the momentum going, I mean, trends happen. They come and go so fast today. Uh, don't don't be a trend chaser. It's, it's not going to end well. But uh, let's move back on to um, this experience. So you reached out to me and said, hey, I'm looking for people. If you know anybody, please put them in touch with me. And I instantly was like, 
I will volunteer. I want to be a fly on that wall to see uh, somebody who I respect, you, uh, going through the motions, uh, trying to get this uh, a behemoth of an operation off the ground. Like I knew there was going to be learning experiences, so I volunteered uh, initially <laughs> for maybe like a week, and then it turned into me being uh, an assistant to the general manager uh, in uh, Maitre D host. I mean, I loved every second of it, but. I really want to reflect on that time, what it was like for you, uh, what was going through your head, what the experience, like, like, I mean, let, just take us through, what was that like? Take us through the time where you got the offer to, you broke ground, like, what was that entire experience like for you? Well, the experience was something I've thought about my entire career. It was an opportunity for me to be the chef of a 250-acre farm and orchard, <laughs> uh, you know, the oldest and largest in New Hampshire. Uh, it, it was the, the experience of opening a restaurant on a living, breathing farm and growing all the food that went on the plate was always a goal of mine. Um, it, more of a dream come true. So I got to really put, you know, I got to really 100% tackle that beast of an operation. And what I would say for to answer the question of what the experience was, the experience was very humbling. Mm. Uh, trying to figure out a way to grow food and serve it at the, at the restaurant, uh, working with the growers, working with uh, the planning. I mean, we were we were talking salad mix in February, uh, getting our seeds, you know, our seed catalogs out and trying to find the right blend of bitter greens spicy greens, delicate textural greens, and, uh, you know, all the way to the squashes and what kind of uh, heirloom vegetables that we wanted to grow, what kind of radishes we wanted to grow, what kind of, you know, just the the crops. It was really exciting to be able to um, work with farmers and and growers and harvesters. And um, we would put our order in at night, uh, you know, with, with the farm, we, we would we would send an email over to the growers, and they'd get in at you know four thirty in the morning and go pick the order before the sun came up, based on uh, <laughs> on what we needed for that day on the menu. That that's a very special thing to yeah. have, and that, that that experience is is something I'll never forget. That was incredible, Chef. You said uh, something well that as- that really stood out to me. Uh, you said it was humbling. Um, what about that humbled you? Um, well, you know, for years in a professional kitchen, you kind of put your orders in and and your order comes in the next day from your produce company and you try to buy as locally as you can. That's how it originally started. Then at restaurants like Saya, um, you know, I woke up in the morning and went to the farm and, and got I, at least 30 to 40% of the product came from my, you know, from my back seat of me going to the farm on a daily basis. Um, and that would, you know, that was, that was great. And now I had, almost a hundred percent of my menu coming from a field right outside of the back door of the kitchen. And not all, not all goes as planned. Mm. I mean, it was humbling because I got to learn a lot about farming. And, you know, one thing I learned about farming is that you can never know all there is to know about farming. Um, it's just endless. Mm. You have weather, weather patterns and, you know, irrigation systems and, uh, you know, it's so, so much to learn. Yeah. And what happens is some, sometimes you try to write a menu, but the crop's not ready yet. Oh, man. There's so many variables. Yeah. Sometimes you want to 
put something on your menu, but it's just simply not ready yet. Or sometimes you harvest a bunch of things that you put on the menu and then they're, they're, you know, they're gone. You have to wait, you know, five to six more weeks for the next round of harvest. Um, and you have to adjust the menu accordingly. So, I mean, you were there firsthand and thought we, we changed the menu probably every two weeks oh, at the latest. And specials every day. Uh, specials every day. That was the best part of the experience. Um, and that's something the staff who I'm still in touch with to this day um, always makes comments on us that we were, we were, so, we were always putting out specials. But the specials were, uh, were a very important part of the menu research and development. Mm. So the menu research and development was from specials. So, you know, putting a dish on as a special, see how it sells, see how it flows, see what the staff thinks about it, how does the front of the house feel about it, mm. how does it work on the, on the kitchen in the past, uh, is it a realistic special, and if it, if it hit on all those cylinders, it made the menu, it made yeah. the cut. But back to that humbling experience, once it made the cut, it, it, the harvest was over in the field. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, man. that Go ahead. that grew into something that w- was really um, one of the most interesting parts of the job and one of the most important parts for the staff and myself. We did thirty dishes a month. Wow, it, it was it was amazing the the food you were putting out there. I'm not gonna. I mean, I mean, I I would love to just sit here and talk for the next half hour about the incredible food that you were putting out of that kitchen. Just um, delicious, beautiful. The plating of this food was. I mean, I got to see it go every day, and it was just uh, an honor to be a part of. But we're here to talk about the experience. Oh, uh, and I mean, I just remember looking at you. Uh, working 120 hours a week, uh, just so committed to the success of this place. And I mean, blood, sweat and tears, man, like take us through what that journey was like. And then I really want to reflect on you as a leader and what I learned from just observing you. Uh, so let's just start about that experience from the, the, I mean, the day you started showing up to the the day that you decided that it's, it's time for you to move on. Like what was that entire experience like? Uh, how did you evolve because of it? I'm a big fan, Eric, in looking at things from as many angles as I can. Uh, and I think that that's something I learned throughout the years and, you know, making sure the understanding that you said 120 hours a week, that that definitely, I, I didn't count, but I knew, I know it wasn't that, <laughs> but it was, it was definitely, uh, averaged about a to 90 to a hundred hours, sometimes over a hundred hours a week. Um, a, after a certain amount, you just, you just don't count. Yeah. I mean, we're talking seven, seven days a week. Um, you know, well, I'll touch on two subjects. You said being a leader, but you also said the entire experience. Um, the, the experience of opening a breakfast, lunch, and dinner restaurant that has prepared food um, operations as well as hopes for weddings and events, uh, that, is, that is a massive project. And I think the biggest struggle of that was uh, staffing. Mm. And anybody who listens to the show or, or understands the restaurant industry at this particular day and age is staffing is the issue everywhere. Mm. I mean, nationwide. Absolutely. So trying to find staff is one thing. Trying to find dedicated individuals with a team-oriented mind that are, you know, really plugged into the movement, that's a whole other animal. And I feel um, that with that 100 hours a week, that we did to get a restaurant opening. That's just what it takes. 
especially when you have a breakfast menu, a lunch menu, and a dinner menu, um, because the chef has to be there for that. I had to oversee that. I had to make sure firsthand to get the respect of the staff, obviously, and to get the, the proper consistency of product. How do um, you do that? Well, you wake up in the morning and you, you do it your damn self, mm. and you train your team side by side. You say, all right, this is how we're going to do the breakfast menu. This is what the prep list is going to look like. This is how we're going to forecast this. This is, um, you know, how we're going to do the lunch menu and the dinner menu. So that required me being there from 6 o'clock in the morning until, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, seven days a week until we open this place up. And I hats off to my wife, by the way, for dealing with that one. <laughs> um, she's a, she, she's, her support was crazy. But I want to reflect on the other part of the question that we said, being a leader. Um, you can't do that without a good team. You can't open a restaurant of that magnitude without solid individuals who understand, you know, what, what the, the movement is and what the actual finishing goal is. And these guys that we open the restaurant with, these guys and girls that we open the restaurant with, man, you saw it firsthand. Yeah. What a, what, what a team, what a great team. And I think that has to do with being a leader, like you said, where they understood that, you know, I would never tell them some, to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Uh, and I think that really played into how, how it all came down. I, I think this, in terms of being a leader and in terms of, uh, of running a successful operation and having the respect of your staff, uh, you need to treat them like human beings and individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to, you know, understand that there's going to be days where they're, they're not going to be 100%. And there's going to be days where I, as a chef, I'm not going to be 100%. And, and, um, and we, need to, we, we pick each other up. And that's a, that's a tricky balance. Because when you're running a, a, an operation of any size, and it's a very stressful environment, people are tired, everybody's pretty much malnourished and caffeine-driven. And, you, you know, you have crashes where people are just, you know, they're, they're hurting. And, you know, we're 100% from scratch restaurant. We made our own bread. We made our own pasta. We butchered our own animals. I mean, we, we did it all. Uh, we made our own dough every single day. I mean, it, it was, it was a, a lot of pressure on a lot of people. And when you have that kind of pressure and stress, I think the most important thing to never lose sight of is to make sure you're always keeping each other up. Make sure you're always keeping a positive attitude. And if you don't have a positive attitude, Surround yourself with people who can catch you um, and bring you back up to a good place, you know, mentally. Because that's a very, you know, physically and mentally demanding. This whole entire career is physically and mentally demanding. But uh, this is, if you don't have the right team, it's kind of hard um, to run a successful operation with, with, with that much uh, quality, if you will. Yeah. So being a leader for my team um, was essential to the operation but being a leader i think comes from me starting in the you know as a self-taught chef who worked in the in the dish room you know for the first two years of of this career i've been on 1996 to 98 i was i was a dishwasher mm. and i was a damn proud dishwasher and I, and I loved being a part of something a team like that and uh you know all the way down to the last position i was at at applecrest the dishwashers, we, we treated those guys well. Yeah, those, those, those were the stars of the show, man. I mean, everybody is, has an important role in the kitchen. And uh, it's important to understand that no matter what, 
everybody's role is important and everybody has off days. So being a leader required me, you know, riding that fine line. I really want to stress this point right here, that fine line between respect and friendship. Mm. Because as a chef, you really can't be friends with your staff, which some people may disagree with. Um, I'm friendly with my staff and I'm friends with my staff out of work and I don't have a single enemy from the kitchen. But I, but I do, I do keep that line of respect there where, you know, we're running an operation, we are running a business and, you know, I had uh, a small farm family depending on me to bring income, you know, to this operation. And that requires a lot of pressure on me to not screw this up. That income solely reflects, you're only going to get income every single dish that leaves that restaurant, every single plate, every single customer, ticket for ticket, plate for plate, needs to get a great experience or they're not coming back. Yeah, I mean, and you're going, uh, finish your last thought and I just want to add something on. Well, that's essentially it. To, that all comes into being a leader. And if you're not a good leader and not a good chef, you're not going to have good product and you're not going to get repeat business, which means you're not going to do well financially. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I was stuck with. It's making sure that these, my staff knew they had a chef that they could count on, a chef that would work just as hard as they would. I was scrubbing the stoves. I was scrubbing the floors. I was scrubbing the, the, uh, the hoods. Uh, most chefs don't do that any longer. And, and I'm not sure if they're required to, but I, I always made sure it was a point of, hey, you see that corner over there? It's starting to get a little build up. Give me that, give me that scrub brush. Let me show you how it's done. Mm, yeah. And I think that becomes part of being a leader is to, you know, always make sure you're telling somebody something that you're not afraid to do yourself. Oh, and that absolutely. respect will be there. And I love, I mean, you're, it's, it's funny. Like I, there are certain things I wanted to highlight about you. Uh, the things that I observed, like I, I, I took this opportunity to, I was only there for four months, but I, I just wanted to be a fly on the wall uh, to offer any assistance I could to see this beautiful thing get off the ground. And in doing so, I got to observe you as a leader. And the one thing that just blew me away about you, chef and about your team is how much respect you had. And that's really what I wanted the, uh, the core of this conversation to be around is how to get respect from your people, uh, to tackle these crazy, you know, just, seemingly out of reach amazing goals that you set for yourself uh and it's gonna be hard you're gonna pull 90 110 hour weeks to to do it and you're gonna have to be there especially in the beginning like you said to be that shining example to show people what you expect from them and i wrote down in big letters chef head down do the work like you did when you were a dishwasher when you first got into this industry like you were the dishwasher but you're gonna be the the best fucking dishwasher there was and you're gonna polish those fucking pans dude and you that that attitude watching you as a leader you had that same attitude as a chef um you didn't bark orders i mean you would but you would never ask anybody to do anything that you wouldn't be willing to do yourself and that's one thing that i just i loved about your leadership style and no matter how shitty the day was how how bad we got it handed to us uh you would just one other thing you mentioned during your your rant was positive attitude. I mean, you were always say, you know, like that was today. We learned some things from today, but here's how we're going to do it better tomorrow. Uh, and those are the things that I picked up from just watching you and learning from you. And I mean, you already kind of reflected on some of these things that I shared, but do you have anything else to add after what I just shared? 
Well, yeah, with the hundred hours a week, that's that's something that sounds pretty scary, but that does level out. Yeah, and over time, you definitely um, and like you said, getting handed to us, we we got our asses handed to us. Um, then again, you know, most of these guys listening that are in the restaurant industry, everybody there's does. a sick part. This is there's a masochistic sick part of that <laughs> that just you know we wake up and it's like, hey man, we're gonna get rocked today. And you look at your boy and he's like, let's do this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, you finish you finish your fifteenth coffee. And, uh, and you get ready for that 4.30 lineup, and you go for it. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's what I just want to make, make sure that, you know, people understand that it does level out. Uh, you yeah. build your team up, you start to, and, and I wasn't doing those 100 hours a week by myself. I was doing it with a phenomenal team. My sous chef, Justin Hackett, was amazing. Um, he, he rose to the occasion, and honestly, I, I believe one of, the, one of the top sous chefs I've, I've ever had, mm. uh, ever. And he, he's, uh, he's a driven individual who also um, made sure that things were in order and that things were going well. And, and I think with the team building, a good sous chef and a good chef can run a great business, oh, yeah. but you need to have that simple thing of respect and that fine line between, um, you know, friendship and respect, which is, you know, we had a lot of fun. So how do you how do you walk that line, Chef? How do you how do you set the tone that everyone knows and everybody knew that you were there for them? If they ever needed anything, they knew they could go to you. Uh, they, you were in a sense our friend. But how do you set that that tone of friendship? I'm here for you, thick and thin. If you if you need me to have your back, I got your back. But when do you know how to put the hammer down? in a way that doesn't tarnish that respect? That's a good, good question, Eric. I think it's another thing is to listen to that a little further is, um, not everybody's wired the same way. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of important to, you know, look at your staff as a leader and, and, and figure out how certain people respond to certain discipline. Any kitchen without discipline is not going to have good food. Uh, I mean, it's not going to have a, a good dining experience. I don't know what good food, but a, a good dining experience comes from a well-disciplined kitchen. That's, mm-hmm. that's fact. Uh, and, and you have, you know, certain individuals who, who respond to that discipline differently. Where, whereas I have a, a, a cook who's, you know, let's say I have a cook who's really hard-pressed to get his stuff done on time, but he's trying, he's really trying to be the best he can. He just can't get his stuff done on time. I'll work with that individual earlier in the day. I'll make sure that, He's keeping up on his pace and making sure that, you know, that I'm encouraging that employee. Instead of being like, hey, man, you know, part of a chef, you want to be like, hey, man, this, you suck. You've been doing this for five months and you still can't get your crap ready on time. Mm. You know, or you sit back and go, hey, man, you know what? That, honestly, you want to say those things. But you can't. It's not, not the way you build a good business. Mm-hmm. So you sit back and go, all right, I'm going to work with this guy early in the day. I'm going to clear my schedule. And, you know, executive chef, your phone is blowing up. Your emails are lighting up and you still have responsibilities of getting everything else done while all day people are asking you questions and you have to go talk to customers. I would make sure that I had time in my schedule to talk to the team. It's very important to me sit back and go, all right, this guy struggles. So I'm going to work with him early in the day and make sure that he's on target, getting his fish done and getting his stuff done. And the, let's say there was a, another employee that, or this, uh, this gal, she has a, she has a really hard time when I reprimand her in front of others. So I'm going to make sure I pull her in the walk-in solo, you know, discreetly and say, hey, we need to get our stuff together. Can you make sure that you uh, check your prep list 
before service and we need to make sure that we're ready today because last night was a little shaky or, or whatever. You know what I mean? Fill in the blank. But it's important to manage each individual based on how they respond to discipline. I think that's important. Otherwise, if you just yell at your whole team at once in front of the whole entire kitchen, you're not going to get a good response from that. You're going to change the mood of the kitchen and you're going to not have a good shift because now there's a gray cloud over the entire team. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So that, that discipline is, is tricky when you do it based on, I've had good success personally on making sure that my discipline goes to each individual person and what they respond to. Well, some respond better at the end of the shift for the beer, you know, talk to him about his, his performance. But you know, if the plate's going out wrong, you saw it firsthand, that plate's getting sent right back in your face and you're replating that dish. Absolutely. And there's a respect level there that's like, hey, I respect you. I love you for being part of the team, but that plate's not going out. So refire that fish. This is awesome stuff, Chef. We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. Now, let me ask you a question. Are you actually selling food and beverage or are you just taking orders from a menu that says, here's what we have and here's what it costs? Blah. Modern consumers are addicted to smart devices and visual media is the best way to engage them with information. That is why more restaurants today are replacing their paper menus with Menuvative by iMenuTech. It's simple. Menuvative replaces your paper menus with tablets. This provides more room for photography, descriptive language, and wine pairings. Suggestive selling is now an inherent part of the modern menu experience. In my opinion, here's the best part. Menuvative preserves the integrity of the classic dining experience because it's not a kiosk and it does not replace the impactful service experience. What it does do is reduce costs, increase sales, improve more marketing and provide a better guest experience by being more informative to learn more head over to imenutech.com again that's imenutech.com all right we're back and chef i just want to summarize a few of the things that you've laid on us so far i mean you gain respect by showing respect through giving customized leadership because everyone's not built the same you have to be socially intelligent enough to look at somebody and realize this is how that person clicks. Like this is how they tick. And I need to customize my leadership to 
serve this person. And that's what we do as leaders. We're, we serve others. Like, if you think that everyone's around to serve you and to do your job and to listen to your every command, you're not going to make it as a leader. I can clearly tell from listening to you, Chef, that you live to serve others. And it, I, I witnessed it. Um, one other thing uh, I noticed that I wanted to bring up uh, about you as a leader, the, the, a way that you were able to garner this respect is your just transparency. Uh, you are a real individual. You don't pretend to be something like what you see is what you get. Take it or leave it like it or not. <laughs> Would you like to comment on that chef? Uh, I don't know if I do. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of it. I, I, I think it, it plays back into this same idea of, you know, learning how to manage others. You, you got to be real with people, mm. especially when you're working side by side for that many hours with, with your team. If you put on a, a, a mask or if you try to be something you're not, it's going to come out. You're with these people seven days a week. I mean, you, you got to keep it real from the get go. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what we did. We kept it real. And like I said, some people have off days You work with them on those days. Some people have great days. And you, you congratulate them on those days. I always made sure I made a point to say, hey, nice dish. Or, you know, after that first push when you, you start from Front Expo, I'd get behind the line. I wouldn't even run Front Expo. If, I, if it came down to it and I saw that the, the staff was having a tough time, I'd go back there and I'd keep that discipline on. I'd encourage them and try to make sure that the momentum was being kept up. And then the you know, general manager would run the Front Expo. And we'd, we'd get that first push done. And once you clear that last plate out on that first push, look at the entire team and say, Hey, nice job guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, uh, the one last thing I want to point out, something I noticed, uh, something I've learned a way to gain respect. Um, is to show your show your hand, show your cards. Uh, if you're, if you're tired, if you're beat up, if you, if you've had a long week, uh, sometimes just showing people that you've given it your all and that, you need that day off and you're willing to bust your ass to get the job done. And, but to, to, to show that it's, it's taken its toll on you and be willing to be transparent and have those vulnerabilities. Do you think that that is a way to gain respect? Is that, is that far fetched? I mean, to, to know that like you're putting it all out there uh, and to know that, I mean, it seems counterintuitive. Do you understand where uh, I'm coming from? Mean, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, each restaurant has its own different identity and things run, you know, different ways. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to put them all in a box. Um, to, I, I think each manager and each chef will find their own style of what works best for them. What worked for me was something I learned, you know, from this, the restaurant days when I opened those corporate locations, I told you I ran seven different restaurants. Mm-hmm. I was the uh, sous chef underneath um, some very talented chefs who were very driven and, and a bit old school in terms of brash. I mean, they were my chefs would, would when I was in the kitchen. It was a different world, man. They were they were they would call you stupid. They ask if they'd ask you know they'd ask if you you know if you slept last night. Like, did you even sleep last night? You look like shit. Hey, man, are you, what are you, stupid? You know, hey, you, you put another dish like that in the window, and I'm going to smack you. You know, that's, and, and I would just, you know, back in the day, I would just, yes, yeah, chef, smack me. Heard, oh, yeah. Roger that. 
<laughs> terrible dish. You know, sorry for that. Uh, salmon's a bit overcooked, chef. I'm an I'm an asshole. Sorry, chef. And now it's, it's the the kids can't handle that. Um, it's just a different breed now, but that doesn't mean that you know that was the right or wrong way to run a kitchen. That's mm-hmm. just what I was brought up with. So I, I choose not to you know lead my team that way. I, I didn't think it, it made much sense. It was kind of productive in a way to the morale. Yeah, absolutely. No, for sure. But when I ran those, when I ran those different locations, right? I was at one location one day and one location the next. So I would be in Medford one day or Newburyport the next day, and then Methuen a week later. And what what that was was that was the most intense training you could have because it's new space, new team, new everything. So I'd walk into these locations, and over time you get comfortable with it. But when you first walk in the location. Here's this guy who's now your boss. You have no, it's a Saturday. You just met him and I'm in front of expo barking orders at you, calling tickets. And I don't know any of these guys. And that is, you know, that is a hard thing to do to get the respect of these guys. So I think, you know, you walk into a location, you don't know a single soul and there's tickets lit up on the board. And now you're barking at guys about, you know, 18 minute tickets. And they're looking at you like, who the hell does this guy think he is? And I think that's where I got that respect level of like, okay, every time I got thrown in a different situation, I'd have to instantly find out um, how those certain individuals, the cooks in the line, how they ticked. And you, you, you're doing that live with tickets in a running restaurant. And I'm not going to back down. I worked hard for the position I was in. And any chef would agree, once you've made it to the status of, of, uh, of somebody who's re- financially responsible for running a successful operation, you know, a cook's, tell, a cook's not going to tell me, I'm not going to let a cook tell me, you know, basically what to do. But I'm always going to listen to the cook's you know, side of the story. Mm. You know what I mean? I never shut people down. And I think being open to that um, idea of, you know, holding your ground, being the leader, being in control, because you are responsible and you are in that position, and there is a chain of command in the kitchen that needs to be respected at all times. Absolutely. And also, hey, maybe this guy, you know, had a, maybe this guy had something go on this morning, or maybe his kid's sick, or maybe his girlfriend left him. I didn't let that tug at my heartstrings, but I was still very, you know, important at the end of the day to talk to the individual, especially the individual, and hear this, the one that gave you the most shit, that's the one you hold your ground and you don't give him an attitude back. You be a leader. And at the end of the night, you pull him outside near the, near the trash or maybe during his cigarette break, or whatever you say, Hey man, Hey, what's the deal? This is back to what you said about being transparent and being real. Mm. Hey, what's your deal tonight? You know, why are you giving me shit? I'm trying to run this business. I'm trying to get this done. I get paid Friday. Just like you get paid Friday. All right. We're both a bunch of guys trying to make it happen. So we can go home at night. What's the deal? Why is there a wall between us? Let's talk about your, your, your struggles. And I got a lot of respect for that. And I got, I got a lot of places in the restaurant business from working with individuals that way and understanding that, Hey, you know, if you're going to be pushed back at me, you need to explain yourself as to what your problem is. Mm. Because especially when you walk in as a chef showing respect to an individual and they don't give that respect back, then there's just going to be a wall there and you can't run a business that way. And I don't want any tension in the kitchen. I like to have fun. Um, so another thing to make sure people understand, a lot of people get into this business to have fun. Cooking is very fun. You get your ass kicked 
It's a tough job. It's demanding. But you got to admit, it's, there's some fun in that. Absolutely. Um, and instant gratification of putting out a very tough time. Um, you know, a lot of hard tickets, a lot of, you know, things going wrong, bombs going off everywhere, and you're sitting there as the chef and leader paying attention to the ticket in front of you and the next three after that, and that is it. Communication, communication. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the experience I've had um, in terms of, you know, being a leader and trying to make sure that my team respected me back, and, and it worked for me. Yeah, and just to kind of uh, come to a closing thought and to start to wrap this up, Chef, um, one thing that you, you said and that you continue to say throughout this interview is that uh, you give respect and you take people aside and you, you are straight with them, you're transparent with them, and you, you talk straight. And like, and even down to the dishwasher, like I remember you would go and you'd be laying out high fives left and right in the dish pit and you know picking up the team, and you, you gave so much respect. And I think... You know, that's the lesson here is to, to really get respect, to be able to manage that team. You need to give that respect. And I, to go back to that that thought I shared earlier about being vulnerable and being trans, tr- transparent at all times, like on a Sunday night after opening for, uh, you know, breakfast, doing a brunch and working a crazy long day after a long week to be getting ready for dinner service and to have you come in during pre-meal and it's being like, you know, still positive, still ready to crush the day, but clearly just like, hey, I'm here putting it all out there, leaving it all in the kitchen, all in the dining room floor. I'm busting my ass, and I, I'm I'm not bitching, but I, I, my body language is showing you that I am beat, but I'm still here. I'm still positive. I'm still cracking jokes, and we're going to put out the best damn service we can, and you know, they say that body language is, makes up for 55% of all communication. And that body language that you just kept showing up and you were saying the right things, you're doing the right things, but you were clearly tired. Uh, that all <laughs> that all made us want to to keep going because we we couldn't bitch. We couldn't moan because you were the one that was putting in more work than any one of us. It seemed like at times I know you had inc- your, I mean, it takes a team and your team was amazing, uh, but n- you never bitched. And I think that's just one thing to, to to have your body language saying I am beat, I am tired, but I'm still showing up, I'm still positive, and I still, I mean, that's what I meant by vulnerable and vulnerabilities, and you're showing your hand, and we, if you have respect, people will support you, they'll have your back when you need it, and I feel like that's what happened at Applecrest during that crazy friggin' summer, uh, and I learned so much from it. So uh, it was a great experience, and uh, and do you have any final thoughts you want to share? Yeah, definitely. That was uh, that was kind of the motivation that I had to try to keep moving. That that was uh, I, I just had a flashback when you were talking about that. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, you you do a you do a two thousand dollar lunch, three thousand dollar lunch, you know, and then you 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 got a couple, not even about an hour to get cleaned up, set up, and uh, another team would move in and we'd get ready for dinner and do it all over again, do another five thousand. I mean, yeah. sometimes. In the restaurants I worked at before, I mean, I, I, like you said, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned Michael's Harborside. That was a job back in 2006, I believe, I had at a 400-seat restaurant in Newburyport. And I did, uh, we did uh, $30,000 in sales in one day. Wow. Um, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating by a penny. An actual restaurant that did $30,000 in food sales, not entire sales, wow. food sales. 
uh, 12 cooks on the line, uh, you know, 400 seats, three turns, doing about 1,200 people. Really intense. Mm. Um, really intense job. So I, I understand some people may say, oh, you do $2,000 lunch, you go to a $5,000 dinner. That's nothing. I've done it on both ends. It's always, always a struggle, whether you're doing 1000 or 30000 Your team is your team. Your tickets are your tickets. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's all the same game. A 49-seat restaurant with five people, uh, you know, in, in the kitchen versus um, – and, and Apple Crust was 49, I believe, on the, in the inside, and then it had another 70 on the patio. So, I mean, we did 100-plus seats with a team of five. <laughs> yeah. that, that, feels, that feels like you're doing 30 grand with, with 12 cooks. So it's all, it's all the same. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, in, in closing of, of the whole episode of, of uh, being a leader – um, it's definitely important to know that you never know it all. Um, I was the best leader I could have been. And in hindsight, I could have always been better, mm. you know, and it's just one of those things that you, you live with and you wake up with saying, you know, I don't know it all. I've been in the restaurant business for 20 years. You can't learn it all. It's a living, breathing, always changing beautiful psychotic business that I have dear to my heart forever. And, um, like I mentioned, I'm actually working on a blog now digging for roots and I'm always on Instagram at new England chef. I'm doing tons of cool stuff. And my focus now is on remaining inspired, inspiring others and finding out, um, people in my community that are dedicated to their craft. I want to, I want to, you know, show them off. I want to interview them and I want to, spread love in the entire industry. Uh, being a leader in the kitchen was, was fantastic. It was successful and I had a good run, but right now I'm trying to be a leader in the community as best of my ability to inspire other people um, to be the best that they can be and to see the world differently from what's around them and just to, to live fully inspired by, uh, by culture. Awesome. That's it. Awesome stuff, Chef. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show to reflect on that uh, journey that you had. Uh, it was it was beautiful to watch you lead, uh, and you know, congratulations on the success the success you're having now. I heard you're, you're crushing it over at Sid and Wainer. Is it Sid Wainer and Son? Yeah, I'm working for a produce company in uh, in New England called Sid Wainer and Son Produce Company. I actually one of the best jobs I've ever had. Um, amazing people, super dedicated company with over 60 farms uh, under our belt from New England. We're, we're trying to be the first produce company to have um, all of um, as many farms as we have our own 50 acres. We grow um, really cool, unique specialty stuff. We get our seeds from all over the world and try to duplicate them here. We're growing chilies from Peru right now. Um, we're, we're growing a lot of stuff next year. Really hardy Italian varieties of chicories. It's just a very fun job. I mean, I, 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 I use this, this job to connect with multiple chefs in the city of Boston. Uh, the chefs out here are doing phenomenal things, truly inspiring people. An amazing food town Boston's becoming. It's just so exciting for me to be, be a part of that on the other side of the fence. Um, and it's, you know, not bad going to work selling truffles and foie gras all day. <laughs> pretty, pretty awesome. Nice. Okay. But, uh, definitely. I was just gonna say it's definitely given me uh, it's given it. me the opportunity given me the opportunity to uh, to focus on um, a lot of important things in life, uh, which is family and more importantly the creative side of uh, of being inspired and remaining inspired. That's one of the most important things. And once 
once you start losing your inspiration, you need to kind of soul search and what's next. And for me, I wanted to remain inspired. And now uh, I'm working for this great company that inspires me to, uh, obviously I like growing businesses. I, I enjoy being part of uh, the pressure of growing a business and uh, growing a business that's focused on small farms and, you know, imported seeds and growing stuff from all over the world. Couldn't find a better, better job for me for that. And, and, and furthermore, I'm still very plugged in. I did a pop-up this weekend, uh, it, a chef's collaboration event that I went to. We worked together with a bunch of chefs in Providence, Rhode Island at Gracie's with uh, some guests on the show, the, the fantastic and ever-so-talented Evan Mallett, uh, whose book just came out, by the way, Black Trumpet. That book yes. is uh, definitely available online. You've got to get that book in your life. I just started reading it. It's, I'm, I'm a few pages in, and I'm already inspired. Uh, Matt Lewis, Matt Lewis from Moxie was yeah. um, one of the chefs that did the dinner with us. And those two gentlemen were both uh, nominated multiple times for Best Chef Northeast, James Beard, uh, and uh, both semifinalists. And uh, also worked with Melissa Denmark, who we both won Rising Star, um, Star Chefs together. She is such a talented, passionate, um, lovely individual who has great pastry and she's just, she's so amazing. I love working with her. She's always smiling and positive. And uh, so we just did a dinner there then, um, together. And Matt Varga, the chef of Gracie's, who's a very talented, true fine dining chef who, um, man, does he, he keeps a well-disciplined kitchen. And I, I just really respect that crew. So I'm doing uh, pop-up dinners with people like that. Uh, next stop for me is uh, Colorado. I just got wow. news. I'm going out to do a Meat Matters event with uh, Chef's Collaborative uh, out in Denver, Colorado, and then I'm going to be out in Boulder, Colorado, doing the same, working with Whole Animal Butchery um, for the blog Digging for Roots with my wife and I. And I am excited as all could be to go see the wonderful people of Colorado and work with some awesome uh, sustainable meat. Wow, man. You are busy. And uh, some of those names you mentioned, Evan Mallett and Matt Lewis, uh, early supporters of Restaurant Unstoppable, some of my first guests on the show. And I'll have Evan's book in the show notes if you guys want to check that out. Uh, he's an, an inc- incredibly intelligent person, so I'm, I'm looking forward to picking up that book myself. So uh, this he, was- he's, he's one of the most, one of the most inspiring individuals oh, I've man. met. It's crazy. And, um, so humble, man, too. I just want to thank you. I want to thank you, Eric, for the opportunity to come on this show and, and kind of talk and Man, it's just it's just so cool to reflect on some of the stuff that we did, and uh, it was really fun opening that restaurant with you. And uh, I congratulate you on your continued success of your uh, podcast. It's really cool to see how far this has come, and uh, all the listeners out there, you guys are the best. It's so so cool to know that there's a bunch of us out there connecting, and uh, just truly inspired by what you do. And, and I'm just very humbled by by uh, you inviting me onto your show. So thank you very much, man. I really appreciate that. No, Chef, thank you. Uh, the, the honor was mine, and I've been wanting to get you back on the show for a while now. I can't believe it's taken this long, uh, and it was totally worth it because you just dropped tons of knowledge, tons of experience, tons of wisdom on us. We're all better now from listening to you. Uh, so, uh, man, there's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks for coming on the show, and cheers. <laughs> cheers to you, man. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. An episode I've been wanting to record now for a while. My only regret is it's taken over a year to uh, lock down this reflection with this this man, this gentleman, this chef I respect so much. I can only uh, sit back and uh, wait to see... uh, 
you know, with eagerness to see what, what you do with the rest of your career, chef. I know you're going to just do incredible things. So, uh, Thanks for coming back on the show. And I think that the biggest lessons to take away, I mean, obviously what I, what I wanted to talk about, what, what impressed me, you know, the most, uh, with this experience working, uh, with this, uh, chef Pat Susie is his ability just to get that respect. And I, I knew the conversation was going to go here. I, I knew this is what I wanted to put underneath the microscope is it was just amazing to see how, how much people appreciated him, how far people were, were willing to go and how many people were just behind him. Uh, and it wasn't out of fear. It wasn't, you know, that, you know, I, I need to do this cause I'm going to lose my job. People wanted to be behind this man uh, because he was like, we discussed today, just transparent, honest, uh, just a, a real person, no bullshit, uh, and he, you couldn't bitch and moan about being worked too hard because the person that was working you was working just a little bit harder. And yeah, uh, I love that he has the, the humility and the, the, um, the just the, he's, what's the word? He's, he's just so humble. He, he knows that he couldn't have achieved what he achieved, uh, this taking on this massive project without the team he had. Um, and he knew it from the very beginning that if I'm going to get this done, I need people behind me. And he gave those people respect first. And I think those are the biggest lessons to take from this is, you know, you can't do it without the team and to get the people behind you, you're going to need behind you. You've got to give that respect first. Uh, there's so much uh, that was just, you know, you know, read in between the lines with this interview. And uh, it was an honor working with you, Chef Susie. Uh, like I said, I can't wait to keep my eyes on your career where you're going to end up. Uh, really exciting to see what's going to happen with you. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Like always, shoot me those emails, Eric at restaurantstoppable.com. I love hearing from you guys. I love uh, discovering how this show is helping you. I love your suggestions. If you want to listen to somebody in your community, if there is a, a chef, a restaurateur, a chef proprietor, uh, somebody who's just crushing it, somebody who's a mentor in your community, someone who can shine a light on the path to success for all those people out there listening who want to aspire to be something great uh, with their careers, to do something great with their lives, to, to make it about making a difference, whether it be mentoring somebody else or you're, you know, influencing your community. There, there's so much power in this industry. So many ways you can touch lives. Um, connect me with that person, call them out, uh, tag them on a Facebook message, uh, or, you know, right on the, the restaurant, Unstoppable Facebook page. Uh, and don't forget that I love those calls. If you guys ever wanted to chat with me, uh, just head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash one-on-one. I don't have all the answers, but I've met a lot of people who can maybe help you. I can help connect you with the right people. I can inspire you. I can motivate you. I can give you a little pep talk. Uh, we can just, you know, mastermind together one-on-one. I'm, I'm here to support you, and I love connecting with my listeners. So uh, don't forget to head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one-on-one to schedule that chat today. I would love to do that with you guys. So um, thanks for hanging out this long. I can't wait to do it again. Until next time, peace out. <laughs>